0: This is VOA News. I'm Marissa Milton. Hours after Ukraine appealed to its Western allies to send tanks to help its forces defeat Russia, the United States on Thursday announced more than $2.5 billion in military aid, but no tanks. The latest U.S. package of weaponry includes 59 Bradley fighting vehicles and 90 Stryker armed personnel carriers. The vehicles come with three, of, three types of missiles, tens of thousands of rounds of artillery, and additional HIMARS and other air defense systems. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is to meet with his counterparts Friday at Rammstein Air Base, where more aid is to be announced by other countries. But so far, Germany and the United States are balking at supplying the Leopard 2 and Abrams tanks that Ukraine has requested. In California, visiting California, Northern California on Thursday, U.S. President Joe Biden responded to queries about classified documents that were found in his home in Delaware and in an office in Washington, D.C. He said he's looking forward to getting the matter resolved and says he has no regrets.
1: What quite frankly bugged me is that we have a serious problem here we're talking about. We're talking about what's going on and the American people don't quite understand why you don't ask me questions about that.
0: Russia's Federal Security Service said Thursday it has initiated an espionage case against a U.S. citizen, but it didn't name the person or specify where, whether they were in custody. Here's State Department Deputy, Deputy Spokesperson Vedant Patel responding to those reports on Thursday.
2: We are uh, aware of these unconfirmed reports uh, that an investigation uh, regarding a U.S. citizen in Russia is uh, taking place, but we continue to try and get as much information as we can.
0: The charge carries a potential prison term of 10 to 20 years. VOA News. Federal Reserve Board Chairman Jerome Powell is working from home after coming down with the coronavirus. AP correspondent Jennifer King reports. The Federal Reserve announced that Board Chairman Jerome Powell has tested positive for COVID-19 and is experiencing mild symptoms. The Fed says Powell is up to date with all his COVID vaccines and boosters. The Fed is in the midst of an aggressive drive to tame high inflation and is expected to raise its benchmark interest rate by at least a quarter point at the next meeting set for January 31st to February 1st. That timetable could allow Powell to recover in time to participate in person. If not, the alternative plan could be to return to a virtual meeting. Jennifer King, Washington. A major Indian journalist group has urged the government to reject a proposal to police fake news on social media, saying such a change to the country's information technology rules would be akin to censorship. The proposal would bar social media platforms from hosting any information that the authorities identify as false. It's the latest in a group of measures by Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government that are being seen as efforts to rein in big tech firms. The Editors Guild of India, in a statement, urged the government to scrap the proposal and instead begin meaningful consultations with stakeholders on the regulatory framework for digital media. A senior official in the Malaysian government told VOA Thursday that preliminary reports from an ongoing investigation into a deadly landslide in Malaysia that killed 31 people on December 16th, indicate the area was not zoned for agricultural, commercial, or recreational uses. Dozens of people were buried as they slept in their tents at Father's Organic Farm in Batang Kali, about 50 kilometers north of Kuala Lumpur, when a landslide swept over the campsite. Greta Thunberg called on the global energy industry and its financiers to end all fossil fuel investments on Thursday at a high-profile meeting in Davos with the head of the International Energy Agency. During a roundtable discussion with Fatih Birol on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum, Activists say they had presented a cease and desist letter to CEOs calling for a stop to new oil, gas and coal extraction. The oil and gas industry has said it needs to be part of the energy transition as fossil fuels will continue to play a major role in the energy mix as the world shifts to a low carbon economy. And musician David Crosby has died at age 81. He was one of the most influential musicians of the 1960s and 70s. He co-founded the groups The Birds and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of both groups. From Washington, I'm Marissa Melton, BOA News.
1: Morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Butting, Washington. Today is Friday, January 20th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen begins her three-country Africa visit today, Friday, in Senegal.
3: The meeting took place in December. In January, the Minister of Finance of the U.S. is in Africa. I think that itself set the tone on uh, the project that the Americans want to realize on the continent.
1: Ethnic Tutsi protesting in Nairobi, asking to be repatriated to DRC. Ethiopia's tourism sector sees hope after peace deal. South Sudan's political leaders are urged to speed up deployment amid ongoing intercommunal clashes and deadly cattle raids
4: the preparations for the deployment of the necessary unified force that graduated will be done accordingly.
1: Those stories plus Samson O'Malley's posts are coming up on Daybreak Africa. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen begins her three-country Africa visit today Friday in Senegal. She will later visit Zambia and South Africa. The trip comes on the heels of the just-concluded U.S. Africa Leaders Summit in Washington, D.C. U.S. officials say Yellen's visit aims to strengthen U.S. Africa trade and investment. Political analyst Ibrahim Khan tells me that Yellen's visit could also be aimed at countering growing Chinese economic ties with Africa.
3: I think the fact that he is visiting Senegal is partly because Senegal is uh, the chair of the EU. And uh, Senegal was uh, also leading the conversation in December in Washington during the U.S.-Africa meeting. For me, this uh, visit is the follow-up to the recommendation and the conclusion of that meeting. The meeting took place in December. In January, the Minister of Finance of the U.S. is in Africa. I think that itself set the tone on uh, the project that the Americans want to realize on the continent. It means that they are ready and they want to accelerate that process of implementation of the decision taken in uh, December.
1: As you know, that December U.S.-Africa Leaders' Summit the United States announced several financial packages for Africa, including even uh, support for Africa a permanent seat on the on the U.S. Security Council.
3: Yes, you know there are many many projects that are there, but but I think all these activities are also part of uh, the U.S. strategy for Africa, which is somehow to counter the Chinese strategy for the continent and also to counter other strategies. You have Turkish strategy for Africa, you have Russian strategy for Africa. So I think that the Americans are showing that not only they are serious about it but they really want to do something immediately and this is for me a kind of approach that will really show african countries that uh, the u.s want to be one of the closest ally of the continent and as you know africa is targeted because of the position that the continent has taken during the invasion of ukraine by russia African countries uh, have taken a position and have shown to the U.S. that this position is the expression of the way Africa wants to see itself in international relations and the way Africa wants to see multilateralism in the future. And I think the U.S. in this uh, context is also trying to show that, yes, you disagree with us, but at the same time, we want to continue to have this collaboration with you. We want to set up new relationship with you. It's not the first time Barack Obama did it. Trump didn't see Africa as a partner. And I think this visit is just reiterating the U.S. uh, willingness to really do something during the Biden presidency. And I think it's quite very interesting because this is just the first term of uh, uh, Biden. And if the U.S. is showing this kind of willingness, this kind of uh, strategy... It means that the relation between Africa and the U.S. will completely change during his presidency. And that's a, a good sign for Africa because uh, not only the continent needs trade relationship with the U.S., not only the continent needs investment from the U.S., but the continent also needs the support of the U.S. for many, many other businesses. You know, the G21 in their relationship with uh, the Bretton Woods Institution, For all of that, the U.S. will be one of the the supporters of the continent, and that is really for the benefit of our dear continent.
1: Ibrahim Khan is a Senegalese political analyst. He was speaking with me from the Senegalese capital, Dakar. A group of ethnic Tusi protested in Kenya's capital earlier this week, asking to be repatriated back to the Democratic Republic of Congo. The Tutsis said they fled fighting in the DRC years ago, but Kinshasa says they are from Rwanda and doesn't recognize them as citizens. Victoria Amunga reports from VOA's Africa News Center in Nairobi
2: carrying placards with messages that call for their repatriation. A group of ethnic Tutsi refugees originally from Congo marched through the streets of Nairobi. The Tutsis say they have been settled in Kenya's camps for over two decades and that they run a risk of statelessness because of what they allege is a denial of their origins in the DRC. 25-year-old Bahati Gislain says he fled his home in the Congolese town of Nyanzale 15 years ago after a conflict erupted in his village and his family was killed. Gislain says he wants to return home to the DRC, but his efforts have been futile. He says DRC officials told him and other Tutsis that their departure was final and their country of exile is now considered to be their homeland.
1: I'm requesting for where I belong, and where I belong is in Congo. So I'm thinking and I'm asking my government to take me where I
2: belong. In an email, a Kenyan communication official of the UN refugee agency charity Nzomo told VOA that the office is helping refugees willing to go back home but has not received the Tutsis' case. The Tutsi's refugee status is tangled up in regional, ethnic, and political tensions. The DRC has long accused the neighboring Rwanda of supporting the rebel group M23, based in eastern Congo, North Kivu's province. Most members of M23 are Tutsi, and the DRC government appears to be operating on the assumption that many of the Congolese Tutsis who fled the country are supportive of M23 or Rwanda. In a telephone interview with VOA, DRC presidential advisor Jean Jacques said the Congolese government is accepting all Tutsis provided they're not serving another nation's interests. He says we accept Tutsis if they are Congolese, and many of them are in government. They are serving in Congo's military and other positions in government, but those who want to serve Rwanda's interests are the ones we don't want. In peace agreements with M23, the DRC government committed itself to facilitating the return of refugees in line with agreements signed with neighboring states. But the peace deal appears to be shaky. On Tuesday, Congolese President Felix Tshisekedi said M23 have not fully withdrawn from areas it seized in the eastern DRC. Tshisekedi accused the militia group of faking an agreed pullback of its forces. Meanwhile, Reuters reported that M23 spokesperson Lawrence Kanyaka accused the DRC government of not respecting a ceasefire and continues to give weapons to armed groups fighting the rebels. Victoria Amunga for VOA News, Nairobi.
1: M23 rebels in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo have denied accusations by the DRC government that the rebels have not fulfilled their pledge to withdraw from areas they captured. In a statement released on Thursday, the M23 said it withdrew from its positions in Kibonga and Rumagabo on December 23rd and January 6th, and that it was ready to give up other areas in line with the Luanda Mini-Summit resolutions. The M23, however, Express regret that while it is withdrawing from occupied areas, the DRC government and its allies continue to attack M23 positions. In another development, the UN's peacekeeping mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo, MONUSCO, announced on Thursday that there was another attack by the Kodako militia overnight. This time, the U.N. said the attack took place at the Plain Savo Camp for displaced people nine kilometers east of Jugu in Ituri province. The U.N. said seven people were reportedly killed and many others fled the site. This followed the discovery of mass graves containing the bodies of 49 civilians, including women and children, in Nyamamba and Umbogi villages following Kudeko attacks over the weekend. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I am James in Washington, today is Friday, January 20th. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. Representatives of the parties to the monitoring body of the South Sudan peace deal are urging the country's political leaders to speed up deployment of the necessary unified forces to prevent more intercommunal clashes and deadly cattle raids. The head of the ceasefire and transitional security arrangement body says more than 50,000 unified forces have graduated so far. Charlton Doki reports for VOA from Juba.
4: Several party officials spoke earlier today at the start of a meeting of the ceasefire and transitional security arrangements monitoring and verification mechanism in Juba. Major General Chol Ray, who is the representative for the Sudan People's Liberation Movement in opposition, was one of them. We hope the preparations for the deployment of the necessary unified force that graduated will be done accordingly. And this will also give us to hope to have a better settlement where we would be able to think of the developmental agenda instead of pursuing resolving conflict here in South Sudan. Major General Lek Kwareng, who represents the former detainees in the Ceasefire Monitoring Body, says the unified forces should be deployed in Upper Nile, Jonglei and the Greater Pibor Administrative Area to end ongoing violence that has killed dozens of people in the three areas. We cannot wait for the second batch to be graduated. We do not know how long it's going to take, maybe six months or one year, because the community fighting or cattle raiding in these three states is very alarming. So I'm hiding the unified command to speed up, deployed a part of the unified forces. Because recently I was in Bor and I have witnessed the influx of the white army that passed through the town. Late last month, clashes killed 56 people during four days of fighting in the greater Pibor administrative area after young men from one ethnic community attacked another ethnic group according to local officials. Citizen VM Chairperson, Lieutenant General Asrat Denero Ahmad, says the first phase of the graduation of the necessary unified forces ended on january fourteenth with the graduation of forces in the Kaljak Training Center of Unity State. General Denero says more than fifty five thousand unified forces have graduated. He is calling on the Joint Defense Board or JDB to implement the next security arrangements tasks. Citizen BM uh, urges JDB to provide the deployment of plan of the graduated forces and further urges the JTSC to provide the plan of for phase 2 training as well as the future plan for containment sites. Under the 2018 revitalized peace deal, South Sudan is supposed to train and graduate 83,000 personnel to take charge of security during the ongoing transitional period. The troops will make up the police, army, intelligence services and prison services. General De Nero says he is concerned about recent clashes between government forces and National Salvation Front rebels and is appealing to the government and holdout representatives to return to the Rome peace talks to resolve their differences ahead of next month's Papal visit. As uh, South Sudan prepares to receive the Holy Father Pope Francis, citizen Vienne appealed to Artaganu and Soma to resume the Rome Peace process and uh, initially the integration of national monitors into cities' ambient structure. Earlier this month, President Salva Keir suspended the talks with holdout rebel groups that were being held in Rome. Kir said the holdout groups have continuously engaged in activities which destabilize the country. He says the government will only resume the talks when the rebel groups agree to engage in genuine peace negotiations. Spokespersons for the holdout groups denied the president's accusations and said the president's decision to suspend the talks indicates the government is not at all that interested in the Rome peace process. For VOA News, I am Charlton Doki in Juba.
1: Investigators now believe that last week's raid by suspected jihadists in Burkina Faso led to the abduction of around 60 women, girls and babies, a regional prosecution said on Thursday. Earlier reports have suggested that around 50 women had been taken, said a statement from the prosecutor for the northern Jibo region, Issouf Ouédraogo. But police now think that the girls and newborns were among those abducted, he added, announcing the opening of a new investigation. On Wednesday this week, the Burkina Movement for Human Rights said it had drawn up a non-exhaustive list of 61 women they said had been abducted, which included at least 26 who were younger than 18. The organization called on the authorities to do more to protect people living in the threatened regions, including ensuring access to humanitarian aid. Ethiopia's tourism authorities say the industry lost $2 billion during the past two years because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the war in the Tigray region. With the November peace deal moving forward, the Ministry of Tourism is ramping up efforts to revive the sector. Ethiopia's Epiphany Festival, known as Timka in Amharic, is expected to attract thousands of Christians this week. Maya Mseka reports from Addis Ababa. <laughs>
5: Priests start their hymns early on the day of the Timkat celebration that takes place every year on January 18 and 19. This year's holiday is the first since a peace accord that ended a two-year war in northern Ethiopia. The November peace deal between the Ethiopian federal government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front has brought a sense of security for tourists. Rhoda Berger and her friend Fatima Arnos are taking part in today's Timkat celebrations in John Meda. The two friends traveled from France and Germany.
2: I'm half Ethiopian, half German, so I've been in Ethiopia before. Last time was 2020, so three years ago. I was actually trying to come last year, but then I decided not to because of the conflict and COVID as well. Um, But then, yeah, I really wanted to... I missed it a lot because I have family here and friends here, so I really wanted to come back, and I was just waiting until the situation got a bit better.
5: Her friend Fatima is in Ethiopia for the first time. So when I read, like, newspapers, when I was talking to people and everything, um, everybody tells me, yeah, you have to be careful, etc. But I guess it's everywhere the same situation, and um, I wanted to visit the, the country, and I... That's why I'm here. This could mean that things could start looking up for people working in the industry. Henok Bebe, who has worked as a tour guide for over 10 years in the city of Gondar, the epicenter of Temka celebrations, saw work opportunities dwindle to nothing in the past three years. He says, once the war started, it got worse. Unfortunately, our guests are mostly from Western Europe, and there were a lot of restrictions, including travel bans and advisories from their own embassies. He says it really impacted and hurt our business. It was a difficult time for us. During this time, Henok and his fellow tour guides turned to local tourists. But at one point, when Tigrayan fighters had entered the Amhara region, Henok left to join the fighting. He says we were facing an attack here in Amhara region by Tigray fighters in Gondar. I went to fight in the war. I went to the front, he says, and was also a soldier in the end. Ethiopia suffered heavy financial losses from the disruption to tourism, according to State Minister for Tourism, Seleshi Kirma. He says, because of the impacts of the war and COVID-19, over one or $2 billion have been lost in revenue as a country. He says, when we look at tourist numbers, we should have seen more than two or three million tourists come to visit and take part in conferences, exhibitions and other events. With the peace deal holding, the ministry is working on revamping the battered industry. This includes reinstating flights to Tigray region cities and opening up historic destinations like the Amhara town of Lalibela. Officials are also looking for more sources for tourism, such as countries in Africa and the Middle East. Maya Misakar, for VOA News, Addis Ababa.
1: It's time now for Daybreak Africa's post. Here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, Samson.
6: Good Friday morning to you too James, we begin the sport in Australia where Africa's brightest hope at the ongoing Australian Open and world number 2, ons Jaboa crashed out in the second round of the Australian Open in the 6-1, 5-7, 6-1 loss to the former French Open finalist Marketa Vondroskova on Thursday. The Tunisian who stumped up the rankings last year after rounds to the finals at the Wimbledon and the US Open, sprayed 50 on first error and Hart has served broken eight times in the 102 minutes contest. Jaboa was one of the five seeds to fall in the second round on day four of the Australian Open. In mixed martial art news, Kamaru Usman, Nigerian-American mixed martial artist, will contend to reclaim the UFC welterweight title from England's Leon Edwards on March 18th. The duo will be fighting each other for the third time as the co-main event at the UFC Six in the O2 Arena in London in August 2022. Edwards won the title by knocking out Usman in the fifth round of their UFC 278 at Vivint Arena in Salt Lake City, Utah. In athletics, Paul Taggart has been announced as ambassador of the World Athletics Cross Country Championship, Bathurst 23, with one month to go until the 44th edition of the global showpiece in Australia. Kenya's multiple world cross country gold medalist will be in Bathurst for the competition on 18th of February, when some of the world's current best athletes will descend on Mount Panorama, looking to emulate him as a world cross country champion. Taggart is one of the greatest long distance runner and it was in cross-country that his success story really began. The first of his five individual world cross-country was claimed in Durham in 1995 and he will go on to gain gold at the next four editions in Stellenbosch in 1996, Turin in 1997, Marrakesh in 1998 and Belfast in 1999. In netball news, South Africa is set to host the 2023 Netball quad Series. Scheduled to begin on Saturday, the series will see the host South Africa welcome Australia, England, and New Zealand for a total of eight games. South Africa is hosting the international competition for the third time. This will also serve as a perfect opportunity for the city to use the tournament as a yardstick for their preparations ahead of the 2023 Netball World Cup later later in the year. And out of football news. The Galaxies of Ghana cruised to a 3-1 victory over a wistful Sudanese side in the only game played on Thursday at the ongoing CAF-organised African Nations Championship in Algeria. This is Ghana's first win at this year's edition and has sent them into second position with three points behind Madagascar who has six points after two matches. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson. Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington.
1: Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. And that's it for this Friday, January 20th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I'm James Barton, Washington, wishing you a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday morning.
0: Hey, sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports, Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash VOA sunny and on Twitter at VOA sunny sports. Or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side of sports, right here on The Voice of America.
1: VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to succus, afrobeat Dumbolo to Ndombolo and Makosa to kweto the African beat on VOA has
6: it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 9.05 and 20.05 UTC, right after the international news.